0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Acts 22. I want to start a new series today, Acts 22. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot in recent weeks. In Acts 22, in the 21st chapter, we are uh, told about how Paul and his company went to Jerusalem and when they arrived in Jerusalem when they arrived in Jerusalem uh, and greeted the brethren there, Paul was persuaded to uh, join some uh, a Jewish man or one or two I don't remember how many, but that were had a vow some type of a religious vow in the temple. So he went in with the temple to the temple with them and paid their vows. And people in the temple then saw him and and and, and started this big uproar and said, "Here's a man you know that's uh, preaching that that Jews should abandon Moses and he's brought a Gentile into the temple." He didn't. But anyway, they took him you know, and, and were about to kill him and so the commander of the garrison found out what was going on. the Roman commander and he sent soldiers down there and rescued Paul and took him was going to take him into the barracks and uh, and find out what was going on. Well, Paul asked permission to speak to this mob of people, and so the uh, 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 commander gave him permission to speak, and so he began to tell about his conversion experience and what happened to him on the road to Damascus. So we won't go into all that he said, but that's just the setup. And so uh, starting in verse 12 of, of Acts 22, it says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Now, here's the verse I want you to see. Then he said to Saul, who also became Paul, he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. God has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Well, what Ananias by the spirit said to Saul of Tarsus, God is also saying to us. Now we don't have the same call that's on our lives. The will of God for our lives might be different than the will of God for Paul, the apostle, but this is still true where we're concerned the God of our fathers has chosen you. And he has chosen you, excuse me, not just for salvation, he has chosen you to know his will. God wants you to know his will for your life. Knowing the will of God personally for one's own personal life the direction, what God has for each person is a big area of confusion and mystery in the body of Christ. Most believers struggle with determining and following God's plan and God's will for their life and it does not have to be that way because it says here God has chosen you that you should know his will. That you should see him. That is, you, we don't see him the way uh, others saw him necessarily. Some, some people saw him in vision form. But we see him through the word. Amen. Amen. And hear the voice of his mouth. God wants you to, to, to understand the leading of the spirit of God. Hear the voice of God. Amen. Go with me over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse number 15, we'll start in verse 15. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, that means purposefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, God has chosen you to know his will, but he has also commanded you to know his will. This is a commandment from the Lord. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you don't know the will of God for your life, you are operating with a lack of wisdom. That lack of wisdom will get you into trouble. Knowing the will of God for your life is God's wisdom for you. And it's available to you. Remember James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask ask of God who gives to all liberally without oppression. God's not gonna look at you and say, well, you know, it's about time you started asking me. I'm just going to let you suffer for a little while, you old egghead. No, that's not what he'll do. He won't reproach you. He won't criticize you. He will enthusiastically reveal himself to you if you'll ask him. Amen. Now go with me over to Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans chapter 12, and let's look at We'll start in verse 1, but we're going to look at verse number 2 in particular. Romans 12:1 says, "I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service." And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for what purpose? that you may prove that most Bible scholars will tell you that the Greek word that's translated prove there could be better translated discern. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for this purpose, that you might discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, God wants you to know his will. For your life. it is. It If it's a mystery, it's not because God's keeping it from you. If you don't know God's plan for your life, it's not because God doesn't want you to. And it's not because he's not talking to you. It is the will. God has chosen you to know his will. Praise God. Now, there are three things that come into play when it comes to knowing God's will for your life. Three things you have to know. Number one... God has a plan for your life. Now, everybody says that, but how many people think about it? Go with me to Revelation chapter four. The book of Revelation chapter four. Now, if you know anything about the book, how many of you enjoyed Joe Morris when he was here a few weeks ago talking about end time studies? Now, let me do a little quick setup of the book of Revelation here. This is sort of a, a parenthetical thing here, but sometimes we get more out of these little parenthetical teachings than we do out of the main one. The book of Revelation uh, has its own outline embedded in it. If, uh, if you go down to verse chapter one, Verse number 19. Now, in the first chapter, we have the description of the vision that John had. Jesus appeared to John when he was on the island of Patmos and appeared to him and gave him revelation. So, John saw him, and that was current. Jesus then gave him a message and showed him what was going on in seven different churches in Asia Minor. Told him the things that were going on right then. Then the rest of the book of Revelation, after you get past the letters to the churches, all are prophecy. They're all about things that were going to take place later. Now this outline is found right here in verse 19. He said, write the things which you have seen. Well, that's not everything he's seen in life. It's talking about what he saw in that vision. He saw Jesus. He saw what he looked like. He saw, you know, the, the magnificence of his, of his countenance and, and saw, you know, the, the stars and the, and the uh, angels and so forth, you know, in his right hand. He said, write the things which you have seen. That's part one. That would be chapter one. And the things which are. Now, the things which are came by revelation and those were the things that existed in those seven churches on that day. Those, in, in when, when Jesus said this to, to John, those were the things which are. Then he said, number one, write the, write the things which you have seen. Two, the things which are. Three, the things which will take place after this. So the third part, of the book of Revelation. It's in three parts, takes place and begins in chapter four. Chapter two and three are the instructions that, that God gave John that, that, uh, to give to these seven churches. He said to, to write a letter to the angels of those churches. The King James says angels, but really those were the pastors of those churches. Because the word angel simply means a messenger. And the word angel in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, was sometimes used of natural, ordinary human beings. So the reason I know that those, what John was given, Jesus said, write a letter to these, to the angel of Ephesus, to the angel of Smyrna, the different churches. The reason I know that was an ordinary angel is because where are you gonna send the letter to? What is the angel's P.O. box? How are you gonna write a letter to an angel? Where are you gonna send it? Besides that, everywhere else in the Bible, we're not giving messages to angels. Angels give messages to men. Angels are sent when they have messages. They're sent from God to men. It's not the other way around. If, it was, if, G, if, if Jesus said, send a message to these angels, that would be the only time in the Bible that's ever taken place. That's out of context. It's just not the way it's done. Besides, he holds these angels responsible for what's going on in those churches. Because he didn't write the letter to the, to the board. He wrote it to the, to the angel of the church. Well, he holds the angel responsible. Well, how in the world would an angel be responsible for what's going on in the church? There's one person that's ultimately responsible for what's going on in the church and it's not an angel, it's the pastor. It's the pastor that God holds responsible, amen? So when he says here, he said, write this letter to the angels. Literally what he said was write this le- these letters to the messengers of the churches. So those, chapter two and three contains those messages. Now look at chapter four, verse one. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So the first part was thing, was having to do with things that he had seen, the vision that he had of Jesus. The second part was the things that are, that was what was going on in those churches. And then he said in verse 19, chapter one, verse 19, he said, and the things that will take place after this. Now notice, I looked and and saw a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. It's exactly the same thing he said in verse 19. Things which are the things that you've seen, the things which are and the things which will take place after this, the very same words. So we know that's chapter four begins this last part Of the, of the book of Revelation, and it goes from chapter four right on through the end of the, of the book. So the interesting thing is, John is now in, in vision form. He's seeing the future. And he's seeing heaven. If you go through and read all this, he sees a throne. He sees one sitting on the throne. He sees different things that are happening. And we won't go into all of that. But he's, it's, I will say this, it's interesting that in verse number nine, verse number nine, Verse number eight, it says, When he had taken the scroll, when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the church. In chapter 4, the church is in heaven. In chapter 4, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, the church is in heaven. Now this alone does not prove a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, but it's part of the evidence. It strongly supports that evidence that the church will be translated to heaven before the tribulation breaks out on this earth because the very first thing he sees of the things which will be, the church is in heaven, glory to God. Now, can I get back to my message? In verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now hear this, for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. God created all things and by his will they were created. You're part of those all things. God created you as an exercise of his will. You are not an accident. Your parents may or may not have been planting you, but God was planting you. All your parents did was provide a physical body for the you that God already knew and already willed, and already planned. He was just looking for his two parents to come together so he could deposit these spirits in, in the, in the uh, embryos that these parents provided for him, amen? God created, of course, he created our bodies as well, but he, you were created by God and by his will. That means God willed you to be, Well, if God willed you to be, he has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. Oh, glory to God. Go with me to Colossians, the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians chapter one and look at verse number 16. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. Now notice, all things were created through him and for him. The reason God wants you to know his will for your life That's, God wants you to know his will for for your life. That's the first point of this series. Under that, point A is God has a plan for your life. Now, the reason we know he has a plan for your life is because you were created for him. Hallelujah. You were created for his pleasure. You belong to God. It's not up to you what you do. Now, as American citizens, we're accustomed to thinking, I can do what I want. I'm free, I can do what I want. Well, you have a citizenship that supersedes your US citizenship. And as, the child, and as a child of God, God created you. He has a plan for you and you were created to fulfill that plan. How in the world would he hide that plan from you? That doesn't even make sense. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. 17th chapter. Now, at this place in scripture, the apostle Paul was actually talking to the philosophers on Mars Hill and they were unsaved people. And he said this, in verse 28, he said, in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own prophets have said, for we also are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising he's saying that we are even as human beings in one sense, we're the offspring of God. In a Not in a covenant sense, but in the sense that God created everything. But how much more, especially after being born again by the spirit of God, we are God's own sons. Hallelujah. So A, God has a plan for your life. Now go with me to something that Should get you shouting just as much, but we'll see. (laughs) Go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. B on your outline is knowing and following that plan is the most important thing in life. The most important thing in life is knowing and following God's plan for your life. It's the most important thing, and I mean, after you're born again, of course. Matthew twenty-five, verse fourteen: For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents. Now, the word "talents" there in the Greek was originally a measurement. It was a particular, specific measurement. I've looked into it, look up and find out what it weighed, but there was a, it was a measurement. Then it came to be a measurement of gold or silver. In other words, coins were made and they weighed so many talents. So the idea originally was uh, a measurement and then it came to mean a measurement of coinage, a measurement of value. That's where we get the English idea of a talent is representing something that, that Some kind of an ability that's been given to us. That's the way we normally think of a talent. That idea came right out of this scripture. According to the Oxford Dictionary, back in the 1600s, someone wrote, and that's where this this meaning came from, and they applied these coins that were given to someone, and this person was instructed to use what was given to him. And so that talent then became representative of our innate abilities, those abilities God gives us. They're called talents. He said to one, he gave five talents, To another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then when he had received the, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. He hid his talent, or you could say he hid his ability. After a long time, the Lord of, the, of, the, of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You know, Jesus has gone on a long journey, but he's coming back. I said, he's coming back. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a, little, over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who, he, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed." And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where, gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's a sobering passage of scripture. We've all been given abilities We've all been graced according to our makeup, what we're capable of and what we're called to do. And it's important that we find his will for our lives and do it because there is a reckoning coming. There's a day of reckoning coming. If you go, go with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. 14. Now, I I was reading actually earlier in this about uh, let one receive one who is weak in the faith but not disputes over doubtful things. A mask could be considered a doubtful thing. (laughs) He goes on to say in verse seven, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Did you know as a Christian, your life, you're responsible to more than just to God You're responsible to the Lord, but you're responsible to everybody else. This idea, well, it's nobody else's business but mine and the Lord's. It's really the whole body of Christ's business. (laughs) For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Listen, you belong to the Lord. Amen. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, uh, Brother Morris was talking about the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall, uh, give a, shall give account of himself to God. Each of us are going to give an account of what God blessed us with. God's will I'm telling that point b knowing and following god's plan for your for your life is the most important thing in life because God's going to require it yeah even if you never follow god's plan for your life it's going to come up it's going to come up again amen and number three the thing the thing that I want to to leave you with under this first section one here, is God is not hiding his will from you. He is not hiding his will from you. It is not difficult to know the will of God. However, go back to Romans chapter 12, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is not hiding his will from you. It's not difficult to know the will of God and the plan of God for your life. However, you're gonna have to get your mind renewed with the word. If your mind is not renewed, if you don't get your mind renewed with the word of God, you will never discern his will for your life. And that's not because he's keeping it from you. The word is right here. There's nothing keeping you out of the word of God, but maybe your own bad habits, <laughs> your own lack of discipline, your own lack of hunger. Well, I just opened the Bible and I'm just not interested in reading it. Well, then get on your face and repent. <laughs> And ask God to forgive you for being so blasé where his word is concerned. And determine in your heart that God's word is important. Start feeding on it in faith. And I'm telling you, a desire for that word will start bubbling up on, it might not come tomorrow, but you had stay at it. It'll be there soon. If you'll feed on the word just simply because you know you're supposed to. Read it because you know you're supposed to. It might be dry as crackers when you read it. Just keep on reading it, stay in it, keep thanking God that this is his eternal, immutable word that he sent it to you to deliver you, to instruct you. If you'll do that in faith, it will come alive in you and you will begin to discern God's plan and, and where you fit in this Christian life. Glory to God. And everything God has planned for you, he has graced you to do. Glory to God. There are things on the inside of you that perhaps you've never even discovered, but you're running out of time to discover it. You're not getting any days back. You do know that, right? You're not getting any time back. You're not getting tomorrow back. You, you, you have some tomorrows ahead of you. Now, yesterday is what I meant. So you're not getting yesterday's back. You might have some tomorrows ahead of you but but what happened yesterday is gone. That time's gone. The opportunity's gone and you're running out of those. Amen. God has your will. He has it prepared and ready to illuminate you. Renew your mind with the word of God. Get into this. Oh, glory to God. and It'll change you. It'll change you. And that day when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be able to say, Lord, look at this talent. Look at this gift. Look at this grace that you gave me. I worked with it. I applied myself and see how it's grown. You might be the five-talent guy. You might be the two-talent guy. You might be the one-talent guy. You notice that if they were faithful and diligent, they all got the same reward. Amen.